Hi guys, it's Joel here. Just before we get into today's podcast, if you've been enjoying the episodes recently and you'd like to be notified on when future episodes are out as soon as they come out, you can follow us on Spotify, uh, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, you can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts if you fancy, uh, you don't have to write anything, just out of five what, what you rate it, um, be honest as well. Um, yeah, it also if, if you've got any friends that might enjoy the podcast, feel free to share it with them, but like I said with everything there's no pressure um we hope you enjoy the episodes we've been really enjoying doing them recently and getting back to the weekly schedule um yeah I hope you guys enjoy the episode and we'll see you soon this week on the divided opinion podcast Saudi Arabian led consortium close to finally taking over Newcastle United and ending Mike Ashley's 14-year ownership of the club. But no, it's a good model to... Well, I think it's a perfect model for football clubs all around the world because football is nothing without fans, as we know. And Obviously, there's comparisons to the Messis and Ronaldos. I think at this current point, you could make an argument for Salah being the best player in the world. I think you could, there is an argument there for that. But providing they can keep the majority of their team fit for the whole season, I think obviously they should be going to try and win the Premier League title because they've definitely got the quality to do that. Just that, Gerard would have been listening to the earlier part of the podcast yeah. thinking, yeah, these lads are really, oh, I like these lads. I like these and lads. And you just ruined it there. Hello and welcome back to Season 2, Episode 7 of the Divided Opinion Podcast. Today, as always, Westy joins me, the second half of Divided Opinion. How are you, Westy? Yeah, all good. Thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Well, we're going to get into today, we're going to get into a few topics. A uh, few things have happened this week. Obviously, it is the international break, much to the dismay of me and Westy. I'm not a fan, and I don't think a lot of you guys are a fan of the international break either. Um, but yeah, we're going to get into a few topics today. Uh, we're going to talk about, obviously, Ranieri back in the Premier League. We're going to talk about Man City coming back from behind twice to draw with Liverpool at the weekend. We're going to talk about Leicester's draw with Crystal Palace. We're going to talk about Chelsea a little bit. Um, then a few other little bits. Maybe talk about the England squad that got selected. Um, but yeah, it should be a good episode. You ready to go, West? Let's go. Let's go. What do you want to start with today? Um, I think Newcastle, probably. Don't you think it's the biggest of course, news of, of the course. week? Of course, yeah. That was, that was the biggest story and I, I forgot to mention it there. So I've got an article up in front of me. Just This is the most recent update. Uh, this from the Guardian. So Saudi Saudi Arabian led consortium is close to finally taking over Newcastle United and ending Mike Ashley's 14 year ownership of the club, with a deal expected to be approved imminently. Now this has been, it's looking like this is the most this is the closest they've got to to realizing the dream of so many Newcastle fans. Obviously, it's been blocked a considerable amount of times by the Premier League. I don't know who this. This Amanda Staveley this seems to be in charge of a lot of it. Yeah. Uh, she seems to be the one that's the mediator almost between Newcastle and these Saudi 
don't really know what they are, but I've seen some of the numbers and the the money they've got is on different levels to even the likes of Man City and PSG, it's gonna yeah. be it's gonna have quite an impact on the league. How do you see this going? Do you yeah, do you see Newcastle becoming another Man City or Chelsea? Well, looking at it, there's no reason why they can't. I mean, if you're a Newcastle fan today, it's probably like waking up on Christmas Day as a child, isn't it? Like they'll just yeah. be absolutely buzzing. And I mean, after all they've been through for so long with Mike Ashley and just not even mediocrity has it for the last few years. It's just been terrible, just consistently terrible. And um, until probably he's co- drained the life out of that club, hasn't it? Yeah, and until a couple of days ago, I mean, Newcastle fans would have not, it wouldn't even come into their mind that this time the following week they could be probably the richest club on the planet. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, like they would have just expected another another slog of a season, and it and let's be honest, without this happening, there's a good chance that Newcastle probably could have gone down this season. Obviously, January transfer window, if it all goes through by then, I'm not sure when it would actually come into force. So Newcastle have got a bit of work to do, obviously, before this. I can have a before I this goes find through. That out. Yeah, I don't know. But obviously, as well, there's a, there's I've seen a lot of people, and obviously, you can fair enough to Newcastle fans for being a little bit pessimistic about the whole thing. Obviously, the money, the kind of figures that they're playing with, net worth wise, it doesn't all always equal out, and it doesn't always parallel the kind of investment that these these people put in. So there's no guarantee that they're gonna they're gonna come in and be the free spending owners that the likes of Man City and Abramovich. Obviously, there's, there's kind of two different types of owners, aren't there, really? There's the owners that come in and they're trying to make money and take money out of the club. Or there's the owners that it seems to be kind of a, almost their kind of playground, just another kind of toy. And they just pump money in and it's all about the pedigree and the, the social standing you get through having a football team. And they can be at these dinners or wherever they are with all their friends and their, the other multi-billionaires and telling them I've got this I've got that yeah. do you hope do you think the, these will come in and kind of have the same kind of philosophy as a Man City as a as an Abramovich at Chelsea yeah well that's what I've been reading anyway I mean they seem pretty serious obviously anyone with that sort of money is going to be going to be serious but um, yeah obviously I'm not massively clued up on the old situation Obviously, we all saw what happened in the summer when it all collapsed and um, that sort of stuff. But no, from what I've been reading is that they're going to come in and try and just wash everyone out, really. I think what we're seeing as well now is like the it's all set up to keep the likes of Arsenal, Liverpool, Manchester United, these clubs that have been the big teams for a long time, the established clubs, they're, they're worried about stuff like this. This is what they don't want. Financial fair play. I imagine part of financial fair play was brought in to equal out a little bit. But what I've read and what I've seen is that financial fair play is actually brought in to stop the likes of Man City, to stop the likes of Chelsea or new examples of them. Um, it's basically created so... And we've seen it with the Premier League. They've continuously rejected this bid for to take over Newcastle. And... To be honest, it's a bit out of order, really, isn't it? The whole thing, how they've blocked it so many times. I mean, they've been happy with it happening before, but it's these clubs like Arsenal's and 
like you've got you're a United fan. Do you see this as a threat to you? Do you think now in a few years? Obviously, it's going to take a few years. It's not going to be an instant fix. But do you do you now see as Newcastle as a threat in the in the years to come? Um, well, I think and especially I, I think everyone's United run. I think everyone's got to see them as a potential threat. Obviously, I still think, regardless of the amount of money someone's got or is willing to pump into a club, there will always be a sort of um, element of big clubs will stay big clubs. Do you know what I mean? So. Man United, Liverpool, whether Newcastle come in and absolutely just spend billions of pounds, get all the best players, obviously they'll challenge and there'll be a there'll be a big threat, but I don't see it sort of dislodging any of the original sort of traditional old big f- top four clubs, maybe. I don't know. It's, but would it's you not say one. that would you not say that Man City have some like if we if we look, I mean when did Man City's owners take over? 2009 so 2009 so it's been over 10 years and I'd say they're a pretty established now as a big club yeah yeah of course obviously and it's not taken them that long and the thing with City as well, as well is I'm not taking away anything away from what City have done obviously they've had an embarrassment of riches but it's not an easy thing to do it's not as simple as just chucking money at the problem We've seen it with countless owners that have come into the Premier League and just throw money. Or obviously, it's a huge part of it is the kind of the the managers that they bring in. I mean, what does Steve? Where does this leave Steve Bruce? Surely yeah. they're not going to keep in him for, him for long. No, I think it's, it's just that's it. It's the, the whole ambition of a club is going to change. Yeah. And so uh, that's what everyone thinks. Everyone from the cleaners to the players on the pitch to the managers, like. Every everything changes now, and the direction of a club changes. And like you were saying earlier, Newcastle fans deserve it. They've had years and years of someone just pulling, taking away from that club, giving nothing out, and almost doing it in with Mark Ashley. He's, he's not one of these owners as well, where he does it all from like a, a United's owners. They do it all from the comfort of their mansion in. Tampa or wherever they are in America Mark Ashley's at the ground most weeks Yeah, he almost seems to rub it in their faces even more I, I, I don't know what that, uh, that whole what Mark Ashley really got out of the whole Newcastle situation no. obviously money but he seemed to take pride in the fact that he was just taking all the pleasure out of a club for, for these fans and you know how committed they are in that part of the world and what football means to them but yeah, I'm delighted for them. Newcastle are a big club. They've got the fan base there already. I can't believe it hasn't happened already. They've got the stadium. They've got all the infrastructure. Yeah, I, I think United. I think clubs like United should be worried, and fans of United should be worried because if you look, if if more clubs come in like Man City and Chelsea, and like I was saying, with with owners that have got the philosophy of we're going to pump money in and we're here for success on the pitch. And everything that brings with it, we're not here to make money. We're not simply here to to take dividends out of the club and make sure it's a, it's running away with this profitable for us. We're not here to do that. They're going to come in. Well, I hope they are. They're going to come in and have the same kind of ambition of the people that have come before them. And that is it. Like I think we are going to get to a point with the Premier League where this 
like, the owners are gonna come in like thick and fast because there's no like I know there's only a select few people that have this kind of money, but there's enough to come in and take over at least a Premier League club each. I mean, yeah. if you look at the NFL, they're all franchises. Obviously, they can't be relegated, so they're 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 all the owners of the NFL teams are ridiculously rich. Like, I think why wouldn't you if you're a, if you're a billionaire? Why wouldn't you want a piece of the Premier League? Does yeah. it seem to be? It seems to just be on a a course that just the trajectory of the Premier League's just been going up and up and up and up, and it doesn't seem to be slowing down because we just keep finding new markets as well. The the Premier League now is getting bigger and it's like the American market's booming now with the Premier League and it's still got so much further to go. But so you're saying you're not you're not worried at all. You're not a fan. You're not worried. Like with the with the ambition that your owners have have shown. I mean we can actually talk about as well that obviously we saw United I don't know if you've seen it, the Glazer the Glazers have sold more of their shares, haven't they? Yeah. So I think they own fifty nine percent of United now. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. I'm saying. Do you yeah, think yeah. that's is that a positive? Do you think you're going to see any real change from that? Um, no, I don't think anything's going to massively change. I mean, they've been a bit better since all the protests, but obviously that's just typical Glazer fashion, isn't it? Just a bit of pressure gets put on them. They'll do a few things to appease the fans and then um, go back to the drawing board. And I mean, Do you think we'll get to a point where this 50 plus one or whatever... Do you reckon that we'll get to a point when that comes in? I'm not sure because it's it's not just to do with Manchester United, is it? It's um, it would it would take the whole league, the Premier League in itself, to bring in a new regulation for all the clubs, and obviously just, just for those listening that don't know what that is, can you just explain what that the fifty fifty plus one thing is? So the fifty plus one model, it's a model that's commonly used in German football. Um, so. Obviously, German football's got a rich history of fan-owned clubs where they make all decisions. Not all decisions, but they have a strong input. So teams like Bayern, Dortmund, all the the big clubs you can think of, they've got a 50 plus one model. So the fans will have have shares in the club and they'll they'll have a voice on all the decisions that goes on. So say, let's say something happens at Bayern Munich and... Carl Heinz Rummenigge wants to go and maybe sign someone or or do a new sponsorship deal with Qatar Airways or something like that. The fans have to have a 50, over 51% majority vote in favour of that decision for it to go through. So it gives yeah. the fans more of a voice and, well, not more of a voice, it gives the fans sort of the, the final say really, doesn't it? Yeah, and takes the power away from those. Areas. Yeah, it takes power away, and but I don't think it's necessarily that much of a problem in Germany because I think, as you see, the, a lot of the German owners and stuff, they are very football orientated and they're in it for the love of football. Whereas in other countries, sort of in our country, there's certain owners that are just pumping money in in other other places abroad, France. Um, but no, it's a good model to. Well, it's, I think it's a perfect model for football clubs all around yeah. the world because football is nothing without fans as we know and I, I just think that we're at a point where we know with the popularity football's getting and obviously the Premier League the how big it is getting and we do benefit from that obviously the, the, the best players are coming back and even though we had that period where other leagues seem to have gone ahead of the Premier League yeah. now Premier League is well and truly the biggest league in the world whether you like it or not 
money, everything shows it, the viewing figures, attendances. It's the biggest league in the world. And with that comes positives and negatives. One of the positives being that, well, you can see it as a positive and a negative, is that the money is going to come. Rich owners are going to come. People are going to want to make money from it. Obviously, that has its positives in that we can pay the best players to come. We can pay the best managers and we can attract those people to come. We can enjoy Leicester getting new training grounds and all the positives that brings. You can Leicester's a prime example. You've got new like ground expansions, and obviously there's positives that come with that. But obviously there are negatives that come with it, with the money as well. And you start to get people in that aren't their 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 priority isn't football. You're gonna get a few bad eggs. I think it is important, and I think obviously as a as football fans, and we all know that money's going to come in, and there's nothing we can do about it, and we need it to a certain extent. But I think we can both agree that we just want people in these boardrooms, and like you said, the the kind of share and the the share of the vote, so to speak. We want foot people that have got football in their priorities making those decisions. We want football people making these decisions because there are we know there's going to be the businessmen, etc. That are going to be there for money reasons and obviously you need people to be making money decisions because if you don't your club's going to end up in administration or whatever we've seen but we need people in there that are yeah that are football people and i think just i don't know there needs to be more of like a a, a vetting of these owners coming in and we need reassurances that they are going to follow a model of a Man City where they come in and they invest in the community around them. They invest in things like a women's team, into their academy and just coming in for the right reasons. Because I know it might not be the right reasons in terms of the reasons they do it for status. or, But as long as that status they're, they're getting is being done and it also benefits the club itself and the fans. And you can't really argue with the whole city. I, I mean, the way they've gone about it is just the the perfect way. And they got obviously Chelsea were probably the, were the first to do it, weren't they? But City did it on a bigger scale and kind of more of a fast tracked, um, yeah. way of doing it. And it, if, with a lot of this stuff, it's a lesser of two evils, isn't it? And. Mm-hmm. Like I said, we're gonna attract with the the way football's going. The, when things get more popular, more money get come becomes involved, and these people become involved. It's just inevitable. Yeah. If we want the sport to progress, we need these kind of people. As much as people dislike the likes of Abramovich and the city owners and the way football's gone, the game wouldn't be the spectacle it is now. The the Premier League, we see it all the time. Gary Neville talking about how this is the highest level he's ever seen it at. And that the level is ridiculous. We wouldn't have reached this level if it wasn't for these owners. In terms of Newcastle, just hypothetically speaking, if you're Newcastle, who, who's, what, what do you reckon the, the method you'd take is? What kind of manager would you bring in? What would your first signing be, maybe, if you're Newcastle? No, I've been actually thinking, and I could see Steven Gerrard getting a Newcastle really? job. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to call You'd it now. You'd be able to track the players, wouldn't it? going to call it on the podcast now Steven Gerrard next Newcastle boss yeah it's kind of an ideal move for him isn't it really yeah yeah he's, he's done he's done brilliantly at Rangers and you know given money to spend at Newcastle and the foundations they've got there the club the stadium the fans city I mean 
he's not one of these ex-players that is deluded and goes into management and thinks they're really amazing and they're not because we all know a great player doesn't make a great coach but Steven no. Gerrard is a prime example of someone who played at the highest level and is looking like he's going to be a very good manager as well well he is a very good manager already the way he's turned Rangers around yeah I hope I really hope that he because it is inevitable he will manage Liverpool one day yeah but I just hope he doesn't do it too, too soon I hope no. he just waits a good 10-15 years or so yeah and I think he's I think he's even spoke about it himself to be honest. I think I think he's clued up enough to know that he doesn't want to jump the gun and go into a job, his dream job. A bit like Frank Lampard, maybe. Lampard I'm not I don't think Lampard personally has anywhere near the same managerial ability as Gerard. I think that's been shown. Mm. But I, think I don't even, think he was as much of a leader as well, no. I don't think. Obviously he was a leader, Frank Lampard on the pitch, but not what Steven Gerrard yeah. was. And I think Lampard just even if he did see himself having a long-term successful career in the, at the highest level in management, he definitely took that Chelsea job way too early. Yeah, absolutely. And he's, he's just... He, I, with Lampard, it is a bit of a... It's just a bit of a stupid decision, were not it, really? Because he would get that Chelsea job. Yeah. Like, even if things had gone wrong at Derby and what have you, which he didn't get promotion, did he, with Derby? But anyway, we're getting on to another topic now. In, in terms of a... A player that you'd bring in at Newcastle. Mm. Your first signing. You're you've just you're leading the Saudi consortium. Who are you gonna who are you gonna buy? Just chuck a name in there. Mbappe. Well, no, well, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because it is no, obviously it is money's going to be thrown into there. But it's easy. It's easy said than done. Like it's not. It's not career mode on FIFA. These players are still going to have a pre-standing view of Newcastle. And I know a lot of players are motivated purely by money nowadays. And as soon as Newcastle owners chuck 400, 500 grand a week in their face, they'll probably come anyway. It's a lovely part of the world. Yeah. Well, I've never been, to be honest. But <laughs> I haven't either, but I've heard it's really nice. <laughs> nice, pe- nice people. Um, not so nice weather, though. But... No, yeah, I'm not sure. That's going to be a... That's a question for another day, but yeah, it is going to be weird how, well, not weird, but it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out, you know, because it's not as straightforward as everyone thinks it is. Wow, you've got a load of money. Let's sign up with the best players because there's still a lot of teams out there that have a lot of money and have already got, it's like, say if you're killing Mbappe, I don't, I don't know about you, but if Newcastle get this super team, I could still see him joining Real Madrid over Newcastle, couldn't you? Yeah, yeah, and there will always history. You can't. Yeah. No, no amount of money can erase history. And Kylian Mbappe, we've all seen the photos of Kylian Mbappe when he was younger in his bedroom with all Ronaldo's and Real Madrid posters all over his wall, wearing like a Real Madrid tracksuit or something. I think it's inevitable that Mbappe will go to Real Madrid. But just to counter what you were saying, I do think we are getting to a point now where there are these clubs that have this ridiculous wealth and in comparison to there is becoming a bit of a gap do you know what I mean yeah between the likes of City PSG obviously United there's becoming a gap between the the, there are the clubs that can offer this ridiculous money and like the Ronaldo type money there are are only a select few teams that can offer that and it does offer another option for these players 
like they need another. And just where's when is it going to stop? Is it ever going to stop? The inflation no, in football, like, no, is it, it'll is only it, get worse. It, when is it like when like the first billion? When's the first billion pound player going to be like? Erling Haaland just, to Newcastle United. Wow, you never know. Could see it happening, but yeah, it's it's it must be so, so fun. Imagine being tasked with and being put in charge of Newcastle now. Like you're be you you're the chief exec. Imagine how much fun you could have. Yeah, like football manager. Literally, is like it is like football manager, mate. It is financial um, takeover. Yeah, but yeah, no, I, I like. I'm just delighted for Newcastle. Um, I just hope it goes through because I think this fan, the fan base, has had enough. It's experienced enough, and I just hope they get rid of Mike Ashley. And I don't even think for Newcastle, I don't think they're that they're not that bothered about having a Saudi consortium coming in with this ridiculous wealth and making them potentially the richest club on the planet I don't think they're asked about that they just want to bothered about that just want to reconnect with their club again don't they they just want owners that are going to come in and just be there for the right reasons and yeah it must just be so hard because if you've grown up and you're a new a Newcastle born and bred it really because it makes it very hard to support your team when a team's going through that and you don't really because the owners, as much as you don't like it, they are, for that point, they are that team. They they s- symbolise that team. They own the team. And when you've got people in charge that you don't support, it's kind of a it's catch-22 situation where you want to support your team, but you don't support what they're doing. In no. the same, Yeah, it must be a really weird position to be in as a football fan. Should we move on then? Um, we obviously watched Man City Liverpool together at the weekend wondered what did you take away from that match obviously Liverpool looking relatively impressive I think in attack more so probably let down by their midfield and defence what did you assess how did you assess the game um well City well Liverpool actually I'd say they were very lucky not to be 3-0 down at half time Three or four down at half time. I think even Klopp's uh, voiced it as well. Their first half performance was really poor. And had City been able to take them chances, maybe had City had a proper striker through the middle on the pitch. That's a question for another day. But um, yeah, I think City was. It's a question really... that keeps coming up, though, isn't it? It's a question that keeps coming up, but Guardiola always seems to find a solution to it and to silence his doubters. But let's see how long he can maintain it. Is it is it sustainable? Not sure. But um, anyway, I can't help. Yeah, but I can't help but think. Say if Harry Kane was on that pitch on on Sunday, it would have been two or three nil to City by half time, and the game's out of sight. Um, but second half, I was really impressed with Liverpool the way they came back. They seemed to regroup, set up really well. Um, played with a bit of a high line, pressed City a lot more into mistakes. Um, uh, but both I teams think, were playing quite high lines, weren't they? Though? Well, yeah, they both were. Both teams yeah. were going for the win. Yeah, but um, yeah, but City in the first half, they they managed to pen Liverpool in, didn't they, quite a lot? And there was sort of a 20, 25-minute wave of just City dominance and it just looked at any point as if City were going to score and it never came. But um, second half, though, was one of the best halves of Premier League football I think I've watched in the last few years. I mean, the quality on show... 
I mean, Salah's a different story of his own. I mean, his performance on Sunday, especially in that second half, was probably the best you'll see all season from a player. Yeah, um, in any league that is. In any league, in any yeah, competition. unbelievable, unbelievable. But um, no, I was actually I was I was fully impressed with both teams to be honest, and I think both teams um, showed them both in a good light. But also, I think we're what we're seeing. I think Gary Neville said it as well. Both teams are not the same teams that they were, say the City last season or a couple of years ago, and then Liverpool a couple of years ago. They're still amazing teams, and they've got so much quality in there. But there was definitely some little deficiencies that you saw. And I think you've been seeing this all season. And I think it personally makes the Tartar race so much more interesting and competitive when these two two super teams haven't aren't faultless. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And there is and there is little chinks in their armour. So yeah. I no, it, 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 obviously I I completely agree. They're they're not the faultless outfits they were before. Um and like you said, it just adds to the spectacle. You know, I can't call who's going to win this league. I think there's four teams that really could do it. But yeah, with Liverpool, they, their attack obviously it doesn't seem. Obviously, they were a little bit they were faltering probably last season. Probably weren't at their best. But I mean, Salah. Yeah, I mean, we're getting into conversations now with Salah of does he make it into the greatest eleven in Premier League history? Obviously, there's comparisons to the Messi's and Ronaldo's. I think at this current point, you could make an argument for for uh, for Salah being the best player in the world. I think you could. There is an argument there for that. On current form, definitely, yeah. I've said it before that the way you see Messi move with the ball, and there isn't obvious. Sometimes it's not so obvious. There's not really any. There's not these like um, the skills that you see from a Neymar or a Ronaldo of old, like the stepovers and. They make they move at their own pace, and the ball is stuck to their feet. And the way they move, there is something very Messi-esque about Salah. I think. I mean, he's he's faster than Messi. He's more powerful than Messi. Um, yeah. But yeah, he's just world class, and that doesn't that doesn't even do him enough justice. That world class. No. I think the yeah, I think you're bang on there. To be honest, Joel, and um, I think the main thing, obviously. No one's gonna. We're not here sitting here talking about Salah's as good as Messi. We all know he's not, but on current form, he probably yeah. is. But yeah, we're talking. In the, that's a different story. But for Salah, the way you were saying they were so similar, it's that player, isn't it? And me being obviously, I'm a defender, and I've never played anywhere near the level what these these lads are playing. At. <laughs> but I'm talking as from my standpoint, and they're the type of players that. There's no, there's only so many of them around, and they're a player that, when they're approaching a defender at pace, sort of Messi and Salah, they play with their head up, and most players you'll see, even world class players, but the players that aren't at that highest peak, they'll always be looking down at the ball and watching what they're doing, and as a defender, it must be terrifying because Salah and Messi are running at you with the ball at their feet, and they're looking you in the eyes. Yeah, and and they they will literally make their move. They don't know what they're going to do because they will wait for you to make the move as a defender, and then then react to that. They're they're reactive rather than going into their knowing what they're. So some players will pick up the ball on the touchline, run the defence, and they'll know what skill they're going to throw in, 
then they'll get tackled and dispossessed because the defender's already worked out what's his favourite skill move. But yeah. Salah or Messi, they're the sort of players that will just drop a shoulder as soon as the defenders made just the tiniest... They'll see the tiniest chink in their armour, won't they? And they and don't second-guess anything they do. No. Salah, you see it, and Eden Hazard used to be like it as well in the Premier League, where he never second-guesses what he's done. He's no. going for it. And he just he seems to just he seems to just follow their body almost. Yeah. I don't know when you watch the the speed in which they're making these decisions, it's just yeah. incredible. And the level that these guys are playing at, even just to play in the Premier League, the Championship, or League One, League Two, the decision making ability it takes is ridiculous. But it's honestly it doesn't get spoken about enough, and it's all for the benefit of us watching. In terms of Liverpool, and we have spoken about it before on a podcast, but what are Liverpool's ambitions this season? What's a good season for Liverpool? Does a trophy have to be won? Yeah, I think so. Well, I think they've got the capability to win all the trophy. Well, any trophy they're involved in, because they're an amazing side. In my opinion, they're an amazing first eleven. Anything below that, I think that's where they all uh, fall short. But providing they can keep the majority of their team fit for the whole season. I think, obviously, they should be going to try and win the Premier League title because they've definitely got the quality to do that. And now they've got that Premier League title under their belt a couple of years ago. It's um, it's given them the belief and the confidence and the know-how how to win a title. That was always a question with Liverpool, wasn't it, with these yeah. players? They've never been in that position. And I think that's probably what let them down that season when Gerrard slipped over. Um, sorry to throw that one in there. but. Uh, yeah. Just that, Gerard would have been listening to the earlier part of the podcast, yeah. thinking, "Yeah, these lads are. Oh, I like these lads." I like these and lads. And you just ruined it there. Now he's just, just report. Now he's just reported me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, but yeah, I definitely think Liverpool will be aiming to win both the Champions League and Premier League. I mean, that's just the type of mentality they will have as as Liverpool. It's, it's Liverpool FC at the end of the day. Obviously, there's going to be a lot more. Um, competition this season especially domestically I mean this is probably going to be the most competitive and close run Premier League title race we've seen for years yeah. I mean uh, there's three or four teams um, I say three because as much as I'd love to put United in there I think United have certainly got the quality in their squad to go and win the Premier League title but we'll wait and see so far it's but yeah when I say when I say there's four teams that could win I think United are definitely in there. And yeah, I think course. it it's worrying if United aren't in that conversation, if for yeah. me anyway. If we're I seven think, games into the season and we're already writing United off, then there's a serious issue going on. Yeah, and with those players, you, you've got to be challenging. Like You have to be in that conversation. Yeah. And if you're not, some, some, something needs to change, to be honest. Um, in terms of Liverpool, though, it's... I mean, I was saying last season, because you were really basking in the glory of Liverpool look just being terrible last season. And you obviously see now, and I always used to say, when once Van Dijk comes back in, everything will change. Now, we have seen a bit of an improvement. I think Liverpool look quite... Organisationally, they're still not quite at the races. And they were against the City team as well. That It was hard to see the manner in which they'd score. Yeah, I know when you, when you watch a team, you often... You see... How you you can you can make you can work out in your head like how they're gonna try and score and how they've set up to try and score and 
there'll be a plan A. With City, it seems they just rely on the quality and that those chances will arise. I think if Liverpool had been a bit more solid at the back and probably how they have been previous seasons, I think they would have been able to shut City out, to be honest. I mean, that De Bruyne goal was quite lucky. And then the the uh, the the Foden goal was just an example of just the, the defenders just being dragged out of position, not making a challenge when they needed to. And I mean, how I don't know how Foden ended up so open for that for that goal. No, it was, and that, that. But I think you can look at it look at it two ways, can't you? You can either you can look at it as in Liverpool still have a lot a long way to go, but also you can look at it in, in the terms of they've got a long way to go, but they already look pretty good. Yeah, and I think there's still Van Dijk certainly still getting back to the player he was back to full fitness and this getting the communication going and I think yeah like we said this this title race is really hotting up and often before a season like every season we do it you're like oh it's going to be an amazing title race but then you quickly see at the start that maybe a manager's not quite right or want a player's not quite the right fit but each team the the managers if you look at those top three teams it really is the battle of the managers isn't it You've got yeah. Thomas Tuchel Pep Guardiola and Jurgen Klopp Are we gonna they, what, a, what a battle yeah that, that, <laughs> that's it with United when we're talking about squads they're definitely in the conversation but when we when we're talking about managers they quickly they quickly go away um, just to stick with United it's one topic that we haven't really discussed on the podcast before but I'd like to know your opinions on the whole Paul Pogba contract situation I mean, from what I've seen and what I've taken away from the information I've I've got is that United have had a, a contract on the table for Pogba for quite some time now, since before probably before the end of last season. What what? How does it make you feel when you've got a player playing for you? But because I'm up to be honest, I'm in a similar boat with Yuri Tielemans. We're trying to get him to sign a new contract, but he keeps kind of putting it off. With Pogba, yeah, how do you assess that situation? Do you think he will sign a new deal? Well, does it does it impact the how he plays? Does it impact his commitment to the team? The fact that he's playing with all this kind of in the air still. Well, there's, there's been a development today, hasn't there? Coming out of France, saying that he's now decided he's made his final decision and he's going to sign a new contract with United. I'm not sure if you really? saw it. That's on. No, the, I haven't the, seen that. Le Equip, the uh, big French newspaper. Yeah, Le Quip. Le Quip, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> Yeah, apparently he's made his decision and he's going to sign. But they're not sure when he's going to sign. Obviously, it's massive, isn't it, that you get someone tied down before January because as soon as January comes around, then you can start talking to other clubs and sign pre-contract agreements, etc. Um, but like you say, yeah, it, it's a tough one, isn't it? Because you he starts every week for United. Um, he's a big player for us and... But in the, in the same thing for the last couple of years, I mean, it's just it's just constant noise, isn't it? And it's with him, it's never been a case of him. He never really stops the noise, does he? He's no. never come out and when Raiola's come out and sort of criticised the club, you always thought if Pogba really cared and loved United as much as he says he does, why has he never come out and told his agent to? Because he he will know full well his agent will be releasing something to the press saying something he'll be that'll be ran by him beforehand so 
with me, it's always been the case of why is he let his why is he let the people around him talk about the club he supposedly loves so much in that way. And I think that's been clear with the contract negotiations. I think he's just holding off as long as possible because it's got to a point now where the ball is thoroughly in his court and he's he, he's got all the cards are on his side of the table. And obviously the news today saying that he's going to sign a new deal, it's really, really positive for United because I think this season, the start of this season, has probably been his best performances in the United shirt since he's been here. And he's starting yeah. to really... Starting to really look the player that we all thought we'd signed from Juventus, but um, yeah, it's a tough one. Whether he is going to sign a new contract, it looks likely, but you never know, do you? With this situation, it could... yeah. For me, the fact that he's left it so late, I thought he was leaning towards not signing a new contract. Obviously, he was trying to leave his his options open for as long as possible. But I know you say he's had an impressive start to the season, and he has. But do you think? Pogba's role at United is defined yet because he doesn't seem to be able to play centre midfield for United just purely because of the other players that he's gone a lot, got alongside him. Obviously, it's no secret that you needed more defensive-minded midfielder and Pogba needs that as well. You see him for France. We see yeah. Pogba at his best when he's got a player next to him that can do the, the lion's share of the running and the defensive work. What is Pogba's role at Manchester United? What position, when you see a team sheet at the weekend, what position do you like to see him playing? Um, the left side of midfield, I think, is where his best football's come for United. Obviously, last season and a bit of this season, he's been playing on the left wing. But it's always a bit of one of them ones where it's Pogba playing left wing, like even though he's playing well there. He's not a traditional got- winger, is he? And, and we've and got you've all got these options. Rashford to come back. You've Sancho, already signed yeah. Sancho. Mason Greenwood needs football. Yeah. So I think. How can you play him left wing? Yeah. Similar. When he was at Juve, he played on that sort of left side of the midfield three. But the problem he faces at United is that obviously he's got Bruno playing slightly more advanced than him. But it's, it goes back to the same old story of at France, he plays in that position. But he's got Angolo Kante next to him. At Juve, he played in that position, but he had Andrea Perlo and Arturo Marquise, Vidal, Marquis, yeah, Marquis, yeah like world class midfielders. So it's gonna, he's never really gonna flourish until United solve that central defensive midfield problem. And no. even though he's he is flourishing this season more, he will never, he will never reach his full potential until United provide him with the foundations that that he needs to uh, give him that licence to play because his defensive capabilities although he has improved over the years he's not someone you'd um, immediately think of is it when you think of a defensive midfielder he gets no, his, no. He, he loses concentration quite a lot he's he's always been a player for me Pogba where he'll do a couple of outstanding things in the game where he'll make you think oh my like he is world class, like that is out of this world. But then ten minutes later, he'll always go and give away a, a silly free kick, a penalty, do a do a Cruyff turn on the edge of his box that will lead to maybe a goal. But I think but also not... you're not getting the best out of him if you're playing him in deeper roles and giving him the responsibilities to to be more defensive. You're wasting Paul Pogba. Guy's a yeah. world class attacking player, and even if he could offer something defensively, you wouldn't want to take away from him going forward. No, but. It wouldn't. It makes you wonder, doesn't it, that if 
if he is nearing signing a new contract, maybe he's been given reassurances that you will be bringing in a, a midfielder alongside him because he's not stupid, Pogba. He'll know exactly what United needs to bring in. He'll know who he likes to play with. He'll know how he's the most effective. He's seen, he's played for France, but I'm sure he would have mentioned it or said to Solskjaer that, look, if you want to get the best out of me, get someone in that can play alongside me and allow me to go further forward. Yeah. And someone on the Kante kind of, that kind of a player, the player that's going to run all day and that's going to be unselfish in the way they play and not be looking for the limelight. Because, you know, it's a team full of players that are, there's a lot of egos at United and a lot of players that want to be scoring the goals and, they want the glory. You need a, you just need a few players that are gonna and players like McTominay are like that. Fred's like that as well, but just someone with a bit more of a footballing brain, I think, in that defensive midfield role. It it gets quite tedious, don't it, talking about it, I think. I mean, how long yeah. have we been talking about it now? Yeah. But on the other hand, I do think the deciding factor for Pogba probably has been United's business in the last transfer window. Had United yeah. not signed I think Varane probably out of them all is probably the biggest one for him. Sort of a teammate, French teammate. Um, and I think it just, we can talk about the Glazers all we want and let's be honest, they're, they're never going to be the best owners in the world. And United fans are never going to be happy with them, no matter who we sign and what we do or what we win. But um, I think for someone like Pogba, if you're weighing up signing a new contract or not, I think this season's probably given him more of an indication that United are trying to be at least a little bit more serious and try and challenge. And I think that's Definitely. probably given him the reassurances by the players that have signed. And if you are Paul Pogba, if you were were, were going to leave United after all these years, six years he's been at, well, it wouldn't be now, would it? Yeah. There's, there's, no, he's, played, he's, right. played in, he's played in plenty worse teams at United over the last few years. Exactly. The, the heart, He's put so much hard work in at United. And I had a lot of respect for him for to going back to United because he could have gone to Real Madrid or someone with that had more of a instant gratification and instant trophies. And United, yeah. he he went to United knowing that it wasn't going to be an easy road. And I respected the the I was just respected the, like the intent to go to United. And yeah, I think. Yeah, I I just think with Paul Pogba that he would be. I agree with you. I think he'd be silly to leave United now. All the 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 bad days that he's gone through would just be pointless, wouldn't they? If he leaves now, yeah, he's got the chance to kind of write himself in Manchester United folklore if he can be there to get that title back. And United back United fans will look look on at him, and surely he'd be grateful because he's been there for a, a long period of time now, where he could have been elsewhere winning trophies and. Which is yeah. he should what he should be doing, a player of Paul Pogba's level. Um obviously we also watched Crystal Palace versus Leicester. We obviously need to talk about Leicester, um, and what's going wrong. I don't know whether we'll want to go into it fully this week. We'll briefly touch on it, but I I'll properly I wanna properly do some analysis and come back for a future episode and really talk about what I think's going wrong. Just from an outsider's point of view though, what do you see is going wrong at, at Leicester? Obviously we saw First half probably didn't deserve to be 2-0 ahead. It was largely down to Palace not really being at the races. And then as soon as Palace came out in the second half and as soon as they showed some intent and kind of got themselves in order, 
Leicester seemed it just seemed inevitable that we were going to draw that game. I think going into half time, Rogers Rogers would have been thinking, "How on earth are we in this position?" And yeah, it, it yeah. showed in the end. Um, yeah, what from an outsider's point of view, what do you think's going wrong at Leicester? Um, How did you assess that draw? I think performance-wise on Sunday, I think um, first half I was impressed with Leicester. I think they moved the ball quite well. Um, I was impressed with Ianacho. They looked quite solid, in my opinion. Yeah, um, yeah they, they were playing all right. And obviously they got the two goals and you can't really argue that, can you? But like you said, it is always this season it's been the case with Leicester. It's the leaky defence. And I know probably I'm you're way more clued up on the matter about Leicester but I always go back to thinking Johnny Evans is that sort of linchpin in your team that holds that whole back line and midfield together and um, and I've, but I think we've, I think obviously it's concerning for you as a Leicester fan at the moment you're not playing great you haven't made a good start to the season by any means but I also think you're a lot different compared to other clubs that, has, that endure these similar starts to the season because I don't think it's anywhere I don't think it's really any need to sort of any alarm bells to be ringing. No, I agree. I think I think you've got a manager that's proven track record of improving play. He's never really been at a club other than Liverpool. Liverpool parted company with Rodgers, but when's he ever really had a? He's never had a collapse at a club, has he? And no, he's I perfect. Agree. I don't think that, there's no reason to. It's not crisis talk. I, I think um, it's just a patch for Leicester, and I think maybe it could come down to. I know. They've put a lot of a lot of energy and a lot of uh, just a lot of work into the last two seasons they've had trying to sort of get into that top four, and obviously both times they've come agonisingly close on the final day. Um, but I think mate, it could just we be should simple. be riding high off an FA Cup win though, mate. Yeah, of course you should, but we've also seen it with Liverpool last season. I mean, if you, once you put so much effort and so much, it's not just physical work but mental work into trying to achieve a goal and you can just have a bit of a hangover and we'll let's be, we're a month and a half into the season and I reckon you give it a month and I think you I think Leicester will be fine I think just yeah. get a couple of players back from their injuries and obviously and Diddy's a big one now but Evans get him back in for Farner uh, James Justin for Farner yeah I mean you've not you've never been the luckiest team in the world have you with long term injuries it always I mean, seems those four players have just listed there I mean it always seems huge. once once one comes back and another one drops out, but um, our whole yeah. back three of our normal back four are out injured. So. Yeah, so you can't. I agree. Obviously, the, I think... the performances are to a little concern, but it's nothing to make you'd sit back and think like bloody hell, like Rogers is in trouble there. No, no, I, I agree. I agree. I don't. Yeah, definitely, definitely not in trouble, Rogers. Um, I, I don't feel. I'm a long, 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 long old like away from from being Rogers out or any of that nonsense but yeah I think we'll we'll talk about that in full another week I want to kind of just assess it really because I do think like you just said it's not crisis talks I think Leicester could turn it around maybe just a small changes in system could um just could be the difference but yeah I don't want to go too hard really because you never know international breaks over Manchester United at home nice easy game to get us back going um yeah, we'll finish on the the news this week that's broke that Ranieri is returning to the Premier League. Yeah, so obviously, yeah, Watford sacking Cisco Munoz. Uh, the if you look at their last fixtures, so this season, 
They played seven games. One, two, drawn one, lost four. So we look at some of their fixtures, lost 2-0 to Brighton, we know how good Brighton are. Then they beat Palace. They lost 1-0 to Tottenham, it's not a particularly bad result. Lost 2-0 to Wolves, probably, yeah, you'd like to be doing doing better there, but still, it's Wolves. Then they beat Norwich, which is one of the teams that is in and around them. Drew to Newcastle, another team that's in and around them. Then lost to Leeds, which is only 1-0. It's crazy, isn't it, this... The way that Watford work. What do you think about this whole just way of working? Do you think it'll it's work? Just, do you think it's just ridiculous? I think. I think you see a similar approach with Chelsea, but nowhere near to the extent of Watford. I mean, Chelsea have a very Bramford has got an approach, hasn't it? Chelsea, where it's sort of if you're not, if it doesn't matter who you are. Frank Lampard found out if if he doesn't like the the direction the team's going, and then you're out the door, and someone else will come in and do a job. But at Watford, I mean. It's sort of, I think like a Watford manager's average, I could say, shelf life really is about six, six, seven months. It's ridiculous. I mean, fourteen managers in ten years. I mean, what what does it's that crazy. tell you about the owners? It's crazy. And it's not even it's like just... he sat rock bottom of the Premier League. Fair enough, he was, and they'd lost all seven games. Daniel Falk has got more more of a a shout to be sacked, and yeah. there's not, nothing for that at Norwich. Do you think if you look at Watford's team, do you think that maybe their owners have got higher ambitions than a normal team would coming straight into the league? Oh, I think they're dreaming if if they have. I mean, what do they expect? The 14th after seven games, newly promoted team, not got the biggest budget in the world. They've signed some good players and they should be happy with the way um, the way it was going, I think. I mean... Yeah, no, no, I agree. No cause for concern at all, really. And I don't think Ranieri, as much as he's got a great CV and he's he's had a great history in the game and he's done amazing things, I don't think he really sparks any sort of buzz into 21, does he, really? No, and obviously I know, I know Ranieri well. I actually, I've actually sang Happy Birthday to Claudio Ranieri when he was at Leicester. Not, I'm not even joking, like in the same room. Um, but... Yeah, with Ranieri, obviously, he'll be a dream for Watford in terms of in the media and the relationships he has with players. But as a Leicester fan, and obviously, I can't say a bad word about the guy. He obviously brought the Premier League to to Leicester. And there's obviously debates around how much he actually changed and how much of it was his team and how much of it was Nigel Pearson's team. But he still did it. I just don't know if... When the going gets tough, I don't know if he's the man. When you need to grind results out and it comes to the real tough games and I just don't know. If I'm honest, it was such a weird season, that season when we won the league, that it was hard to take a lot from it. Like It was hard to... It just all felt like a bit of a dream, to be honest. And, yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, he was at Fulham, wasn't he, not long ago? Yeah. Did he get relegated with them? Yeah, I think he took over from Jukanovic in about November and then sort of was replaced with Scott Parker about a month before the season, a couple of months before the season ended. So he was there for about four and a half months, but yeah, the damage had already been done by the time he took over, I think. So I think it was maybe a little bit of an unfair reflection of his last yeah. job in England. Obviously, they've got quite good links to Italy, haven't they, Watford? Or they used to anyway. Who so knows, I don't know yeah. if that had a 
a part to play in their decision. It's a tough one, really. I don't, I don't know how I see that going. I don't really know what the Ranieri style of football was either, because obviously we played a very direct and balls over the top style of play, but that was kind of he was forced into doing that. Really, obviously it works, but it was just the players that we had at our disposal. It's hard to really implement any other kind of of style of play. Obviously, yeah. he's known as the Tinker Man. It'll be interesting, really, to be honest. It will be interesting. And I'll be interested to see how he gets on. I don't think it's the worst appointment. But I'll, I'll be surprised if he if he does well. And But maybe, maybe he will just keep them in the league. And, and that, well, I don't know. Clearly, that isn't good enough so far. If it's sat in 15th, I, didn't, awesome. I, I wouldn't have had them down as a team going going down right so Westy has got our predictions our Premier League predictions from last week rumour yeah. has it that I had a pretty good week obviously last week the scores on the doors were 10 points to Westy and 9 to me after the first two weeks of predictions how are we looking this week Westy so for Man United Everton Joel went for a 2-1 United win and I went for a 1-0 United win none of us got a point now Burnley versus Norwich. Joe went for 1-1. I went for 2-0 to Burnley. So, Joe, Joe gets a point. The result was 0-0. Nice. It's about to say 0-0 zero, zero there. <laughs> um, Leeds United versus Watford. Um, I actually got a point. Joe went for 2-2. Two, two. I went for 3-1. It was a 1-0 Leeds win. Wolves, none of us got points. Um, Brighton versus Arsenal. I grabbed a point. I went for a 2-2 draw. You went for nice. a 2-0 Arsenal win and it was 0-0. Palace versus Leicester. You went for a 1-0 Leicester win. I went for a 2-1 Palace win, so no points for either of us. Um, Tottenham, Joel picks up another point. He went for a 3-2 Tottenham win. They won 2-1. Nice. I went for a 2-1 Villa win. Great shot. West Ham, Brentford, neither has got a point again. Um, then this is the good one Liverpool Joel gets two points here for a correct result 2-2 two, two. big result well done mate yeah big shout that yeah pretty happy with that mate not gonna lie well done so is that it yeah that's so what it. did so we get what was our totals five points and so I've got, I'm up to I've 14. got two so I'm up to 14 you're up to 12 so I'll yeah. take a two point lead Going into the international break, I'm delighted with that. Um, me. <laughs> so yeah, next week, with it being the international break, I think we're going to be doing another tier list episode last week. Obviously, I know you guys enjoyed that one. Uh, we really enjoyed doing it, so I'm already looking forward to recording that next week. If you guys, I'll probably, we'll, we'll do some polls on the stories about the kind of episodes or the tier list that you want. There's a few ideas that we could do. Um, but let us know what kind of tier list you want to hear. Um, yeah, I've enjoyed today's episode. Just a little pretty relaxed one, to be fair, weren't it, mate? Just a bit of yeah. a, a bit of a roundup. There was more to talk about than I thought that I thought there was, to be fair. Um, yeah, is there any more you'd like to add, Westy? No. Really enjoyable episode. But yeah, no, thanks for listening, guys. Um, and yeah, let us know what tier list you want to hear enjoyed doing it today obviously make sure to follow us on instagram at divided opinion um like the podcast follow the podcast um if you could share it with a friend that you think might enjoy it that would be 
we'd really appreciate that. But yeah, thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next week.